Hey guys, well, we are super excited to announce that we're on CastBox now. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and it does have all your favorite podcasts, okay? Okay, you can still listen to Dumb Gay Politics wherever you get your podcasts, but we just want you to try CastBox. We literally hate every single other podcast provider, as you guys know, and especially the main one, and you know which one we're talking about. And we're super excited that we're finally on CastBox because we think it's the best. So try it. Uh-huh, it's all shit, it's all just dumb gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that because we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast a dumb gay political podcast Ooh, it's all shit it's all shit Ooh, it's all shit it's all shit i mean are we gonna die i don't know I, I, you're extreme i am extreme it's all shit uh uh this shit is bananas b a a a a a s this shit is trump t r u m p a n a n a s what? I don't know. I don't even know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dumb Gay Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about politics like we're talking about reality TV. And we in China, girl. Oh, my God. We are um, broadcasting <laughs> to you live from um, Hong Kong. Hong Konging it up. We are in. I'm sitting here across from Brandy, looking at the skyline of, um, hmm, uh, Kowloon, and um, we are in the Kowloon district. We are. I forgot that's what it's called. I was like Kowloon. What's she fucking talking about? Which is also the name of a Chinese restaurant uh, in (laughs) Saugus, I believe, in Massachusetts. Um, uh, we're we're. This has been insane. We're we are beyond. We don't know what time it is. We don't know what day it is. Well, we do know this is late. I mean, it's... We, yes, this is definitely it's, late. It is. We are going to try and get it to you guys on Tuesday. <laughs> but it will be right around midnight New York time. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Tuesday's Tuesday, bitch. <laughs> That's Tuesday's true. Tuesday's Tuesday. You can't Tuesday. say it's not Tuesday. We, um... The jet lag, the food, the walking, the... We... We've been just going hard since we got here, and we've only been here for probably like forty-eight hours. But it's well, been I will intense. Say this. Um, I did vom into a trash can, and I did keep it moving. You did. I so mean, we're going to talk about that on the Patreon. Okay, we have a lot to talk about on the Patreon. If you don't, if you don't have our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/DumbGayPolitics. I mean, the stories that we have already are are um, are I don't know that newsworthy. That good. They, they well, they definitely. Uh, ratcheted up in the polls when I vomited into a trash can and then we continued on with our day. Um, Not (laughs) just with our day, but with our meal. (laughs) So let's not, let's not gloss over your, um, what happened there that you got up from the table, vomited and came back to the table. So I think, (laughs) and then I continued eating and, and, and continued eating. And I continued eating when you, when you, when you walked, you were like, I'm going to go ahead and get up. And I was like, well, I guess I better eat this one. So she doesn't get sick. And then you just were getting up to get sick. Anyway, we're going to talk about it all on the Patreon. And so much has happened already. And I'll tell you also the story of um, getting a new passport within 24 hours and how harrowing that is. So we do want to thank um, Gemma Sadowski, Eric, no last name, and Marco Rapola. Okay. Rapola, Marco. um, They sent us Hong Kong Rex. We have a lot of recommendations from Patreon listeners to, like, Shanghai and Japan, um, but these three in particular, and then my friend Ramona, who only listens to um, Dumb Gay Politics and doesn't listen to the Patreon, gave us long tons of recommendations. Oh, beyond. Marco, we have been living it up like we are your best friends that came to visit you in Hong Kong. That's We've been referring to your shit like a Bible. So, and I mean, Gemma and Eric, too, like, we, you know, so we've... We've done we've done Hong Kong. We we have our new TV show called Throw Up and Do a City in One Day, and that's what we did. So, yep. We also want to thank um, Jennifer Johnson. She made us 
are designed table cards. Yes. A table sign and cards uh-huh. which we're going to pass out at your stand-up shows. That's right, because I'll be performing um, all week on the Atlantis cruise, and we are going to be, like, you know, talking about the podcast. Yep, we're going to be doing the podcast. And doing it. Outside with the tablecloth, Julie Lang. Yep. So, um... We want to thank Jennifer for making those and um, encourage you guys to go onto our website, julianbrandy.com. She has her own store. It's a link to her um, external store where she has merch. She's like she's our esteemed graphic designer, <laughs> uh-huh. and she designs all these really cute t-shirts that Angie Knox um, told us that her shirts were super soft, which I do need to let you know that the shirts we sell on our website are not soft and they're covered in cat hair. Um, I keep them in the car or maybe I keep them in a closet and sometimes, you know, the cat lays on the, the pile and uh, <laughs> the, the clean, they're clean, they are, but, you know, they're not worn. They're the, just the present, laid on. The presentation, it's free shipping and for that, the presentation you get looks like it came from a trailer of someone who makes crystal meth, which I mean... Not far off. Yeah, not far off not at all. Not far really. off. Not far uh, off. Um, so... And if you enjoy, um, you know, also the shirt is like a a rough yeah. and tumble. We wanted a concert tee. Yeah. And we wanted to offer free shipping. So for that, that's what you get. And I think with more washings, <laughs> with any luck, the design will come off and the shirt will get a lot softer. Well, I wear the shirts all the time. And after a few washings, they do get softer. They also get smaller. Or <laughs> I get, get fatter. And you get so. used to it. And I, yeah, and I'm just sort of like, if I'm getting fatter, then I don't know what to say. So, um... You don't have to let your shirts get smaller. You can avoid drying them and stretch them back out. Well, exactly. That's why I'm saying I'm getting fatter. You know what I mean? You don't avoid drying yours. You put everything in the dryer because you everything begin to know how to, like, hang and dry something. No. No. (laughs) I can't hang and dry something. I also can't separate them. I wash whites and darks together. (laughs) So, I just don't have time. I have to use a... I'm I'm a apartment dweller... You know, with a quarters, and I just can't deal. No. So I just have to she's throw a it all in. Trash box whose entire comforter got stolen <laughs> because she'll leave for five hours and be like, "Can you believe my whole entire bed got stolen?" I'm like, "Well, since you left it in there for 36 <laughs> hours, I'm not really surprised." But I hope the homeless family that is sleeping on your bed, bath, and beyond comforter is enjoying themselves. The point is that there's changes to be made in one's life, <laughs> and one is trying to make them as one gets older and uh, fatter. Um, so. Also, Carrie. Um, from the Patreon, we hung a lot of pictures on our drug down bulletin board recently. We have in in making Julie's changes that has involved getting productive, mm-hmm. attacking, as it were, mm-hmm. and um, we hung all of y'all's pictures on the drug down bulletin board. And I did save a spot for my strawberry baby, so I need you to go carry on PostSnap right now, PostSnap.com, and upload a pic of you with your two little boos and mail it to us. And also, anyone else who wants to be featured, you too can do it. Postsnap.com. They don't uh, sponsor this podcast, but it is the easiest (laughs) and quickest way to get us your picture. The wall is covered with DGP Patreon peeps, and we look at you guys every day. Julie looks at you like probably 18 hours of the day when she goes in there to do drugs and do her office work. (laughs) Um, And we're in a Chinese hotel room right now, and I seriously miss that bulletin board. So our address is 321 North Pass Avenue, um, mailbox number 219, Burbank, California, 91505. That's 321 North Pass Avenue, number 219, Burbank, California, 91505. Okay, let's get to Eye of the Shitstorm. Shit, take some shit, put it up on the wall, check it out for a while. You take that shit up off of the wall, put it down on the floor in a glass bowl. You take some buck, put it up on the wall where the shit used to be. All right. So as you guys know, we're in goddamn China. There appears to be so many shit storms happening around the world. And yet this week, there are no real political shit storms of consequence. And then one very shitty, very horrible firestorm that ravaged Notre Dame in Paris. So, what the fuck do we do? We didn't know what to do. We've been sitting here in China. We're like, wow, what are the news? We don't even know the news. We're a day ahead. We're a day behind. We don't know where we are. We are sick as fuck of speculating on the Mueller report. But again, we're in China. We are completely phoning this shit in, by the way. This is a pamphlet uh, podcast. And we wanted to cancel it. Oh. (laughs) Uh, So, what does that mean? It means we're doing the shitstorm of the Mueller report and we'll be utilizing some light plagiarism. 
And I, I can hear some people out there going like this, when don't you use it? And you know what? You're right. It's a common, this should be called plagiarized Well, politics. normally it's heavy plagiarism. <laughs> oh, that's true. Um, uh... Okay. And to that, I say, luckily. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Attorney General Bill Barr has announced that he will release the redacted Mueller report to Congress and to all of us on Thursday morning, okay? And there's the shitstorm in a nutshell. <laughs> Bye, girl. Um, exactly. So, You're welcome. Place ad here. So rather than end the segment there as we want to, and also the podcast, <laughs> we will now copy a CNN article featuring the nine still unanswered questions that we hope will be answered on Thursday when Barr finally releases the fucking Mueller report. So... There's no one better at turning speculation into news than CNN, and we are the world's worst at it. So thank you, CNN, for being tops at bullshit. <laughs> they, there's nobody on the news. Well, they all can do it. They all just speculate all week. The news is just speculation. Yeah. We talked about it before. It's all speculation because yeah. when there's no actual news, what do they do? Well, they have now a 20, we're going to have... It's a 24-hour news cycle thanks to Fox News. Right. So now they have to turn no news into news. Right. So now we're going to have... Um, we're going to have this expert from the Demos uh, Fellowship <laughs> community. We're going to have this uh, reverend. We're going to have this expert from But you know, they're blah, not going to have on Who? A podcasters from a podcast called Dumb Gay Politics. We never get to weigh in. Wouldn't it be great if they <laughs> did, like, via satellite, like, and now we have Julie Brady from Hong Kong. They are um, jet-lagged, hungover, vomited into a trash can. Um, hey, girls, what's up? What do you think about the Mueller Report? Uh... What's going on with the Mueller? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're in China. So the first unanswered question is, will we learn anything new on collusion? Well, I think that we... Let's speculate. Let's act okay. like we're on CNN. But we are going to phone this in. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, here's my ding, ding. Hello. Hi. Hi, Brandy. Um, no. Next question. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Did Mueller see collusion as a crime? Um, okay, shall I answer this one too? Yeah. Okay, no. No, and I mean, we know that. There, there is no crime because we already know, you guys, that d the sitting president can't be, quote-unquote, arrested. So there is, Mueller's not bringing forth a crime. He's bringing forth whatever Congress needs to impeach him, which we know Congress isn't going to bother doing because right. it will divide the country. Right. And that, what that means in parentheses is we don't want to lose the election. Yeah, exactly. And also they don't have a, they can't even agree on what collusion is. Did he yeah. collide? Did he collude? Did he just talk? Did he, you exactly. know what I mean? They don't and even. it's not a crime anyway. It's nowhere right. as listed as a crime. We colluded with the fucking, you know, housekeeper here to not come in here and disturb <laughs> our drugs. And, and it's not a crime. Okay. What about obstruction of justice? Okay. Well, that that's where it gets interesting. That's, that's Congress's. Now, that's the question. Mueller, uh, I think, is basically said in his unredacted. You think? Speculation time. Exactly. I believe that... Hold on, I'm putting my glasses on. I believe that Mueller is trying to uh, infer, push, whatever in his report that there is obstruction of justice. It's Bill Barr that then it goes to the Department of Justice and it goes to the basically Trump's personal attorney, Bill Barr, who's his defense attorney and is saying, no, 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 there's no obstruction of justice and you can't... If he, you're not bringing an actual crime, if you're not going, we are now going to... They, then no. The answer is going to be no. I think Mueller thinks there is obstruction of justice. Bill Barr is acting like a defense attorney and saying no. And he wants to give it to Congress. And I think Mueller implied that it's obstruction of justice and he wants to give it to Congress and have Congress deal. Yes. Do you think it's distracting that I pick my back zits while you're doing your speculation? Um, or do you find I did not notice that you okay. were doing that. And if you were doing it, I would not be distracted. I want you to say that you find it comforting. I find it very comforting when you do it. Okay, good, because I love doing it. How did Mueller? <laughs> how did Mueller assess Trump's? This is what, however, whatever question five or four. Okay. How did Mueller assess Trump's statements and tweets? Okay, so I'm assuming CNN means by this, for example, they we know we pretty much have speculated that there's no collusion, right, guys? So now we have this is where Bill Maher loses his shit every week. We have actual press conference um, rally coverage of Trump saying, hey, Russia, get those emails. Right. Then we have proof that uh, Roger Stone and um, Michael Cohen 
emailed, and then Felix Sater, or not Felix Sater, the other Papa Vopovich, whatever. They they all yeah. have there's emails linking these guys to Russian oligarchs and Russian trolls, saying give us the emails, right? Or what's what's the deal with the emails or whatever? Mm-hmm. So we have Trump on TV saying Russia get the emails. We have his campaign people emailing about the emails, and then we have WikiLeaks releasing the fucking emails that they got from Russia. There's collusion. Yeah, I mean... Goodbye. So what this question means is, how does Mueller treat Trump's statements on TV and his tweets? And I think we know he treats it as no collusion. Right. As coincidence. Coincidence or, since it's not a crime, it just is whatever. I don't even know how he would categorize it. Well, They're just talking. And again... It's fine. To mention what Bill, Bill Maher said... Bill Bar, Bill Mar, it's fucking annoying. It's real annoying when you've had vodka. So, <laughs> Bill Mar said that that's Trump's secret weapon, is that he does everything right out in the open. He right. lies right out in the open. He does the colluding right out in the open. So, just like Michael Jackson with the young boys, where you're like, he said he slept in bed with young boys, and he held their hands, and then we're all just like, huh. no pedophile would ever right. go around holding young boy's hand and admitting they sleep in bed together. But one did. <laughs> so there's your answer. Yeah. Good. I plagiarized okay. Bill Maher, too. Yep. Okay, next question. Were Trump Jr. or Jared Kushner investigated but never charged? <laughs> well, apparently we don't really know much on the in the Mueller report. No, but you need to give your speculation. Well, my speculation is that Trump Jr. and Kushner were investigated For and sure. were never charged. For sure. Because, again, the no question, one's got you know any... CNN, the unanswered question is, why the fuck were they never charged? Exactly. Why isn't anyone... I mean, we have the ones that were charged, but nobody in the inner sanctum were charged with anything. I mean, that's the collusion. You want to know what the collusion is? The collusion is in our own government. The collusion is even Mueller, you dick. Yeah, fuck you, Mueller. Fuck you, Mueller. We're going to turn on your tall Frankenstein ass (laughs) if you don't come through. But we... I think the the, the biggest thing that has annoyed me so far... For sure, and this happened the day it came out. Was understanding that Don Jr. and Kushner didn't get anything. Yeah, that Nothing. really bothered me. We want Don Jr. to go down more than Trump at this point. Oh, I want Don Jr. to go all the way down. He needs to get his elephant tail cut off. He sure does. Next question: Will Mueller offer ethical or moral conclusions? Um, I'm this. I'm gonna say no. First of all, no. Um, that is the that is a dumb question. CNN, First of all, you're I letting say, us down. Yeah, I want to say that's a dumb question. Would you ask that of any um, like Judge, prosecutor right. or any legal person? They can't make moral and ethical conclusions. Yeah, that's like that's against the whole point. their whole deal. That's not the law. So the answer is no, dumb. Fuck. Also, we should have pre-read these fucking questions. <laughs> we should have. <laughs> we didn't. We of course. Should've. I'm like, here's an article. Let's feel, copy I know. this. Great. This Start. is good. No, we're so close. I feel drunk. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. How many related investigations are ongoing? Oh, and we've kind of answered that, like the Southern District of New York, right? Right. It's pretty much that one. And then I would add in all the hearings for Congress. I mean, I would... Those I'd, are all investigations, I'd toss yeah. In, yeah, I'd toss in all the... All Maxine and The Southern District Nadler. is investigating um, the inauguration. Oh, yeah. Their campaign finance. I mean, they're investigating like six or seven things, but they're... Um, the DOJ junior, so right, they're kind of as we know since they're arresting um, Michael Avenatti like he is the second coming of oh Hitler. I think we know where their interests lie. Right. Also, bugging on Felicity Huffman like like she's fucking oh god. It's like, I mean, that's clearly all. That's all. They're they're with Trump. I think the Southern District agreed. Avenue. But according to Leah Black. They have a bunch of different departments, and some of them are with him, and some of them aren't. Oh, interesting. That's what she said. Well, whoever's got their panties in a bunch over Felicity Huffman and Lori Loughlin, sending them to jail is with Trump. Look at this clickbait picture of Mel Gibson. Okay. I would click on it. I would click on it. (laughs) How did Mueller investigate the Russians? That's a question that we don't care about. Which which okay? The last question is which countries assisted the investigation? Oh, oh, that's interesting. Well, let's just read this. Okay, Mueller's team made thirteen requests to foreign governments for evidence. Wow, according to Barr's summary for their investigation, 
the report might, might identify which countries were involved. It could be included in the tables and appendices that Barr said come after the nearly 400-page report. I mean, and who okay. the hell is going to read that? Just that statement alone made this less interesting. Nobody goes to the tables and appendices. No, let me pop through the appendices <laughs> to see which countries were involved. Okay, well. So it said, it is already known that the Australian government played a role. Thank you, Australia. An Australian diplomat went to the FBI after Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos bragged to him about the Russians having Clinton's emails. Yeah, I've heard this on the news that George Papadopoulos was at a bar with some Australian like government official and he got drunk and started bragging about the emails and that's how the whole email thing and the oh email connection Oh these people yeah, are fucking more I can't oh. so I mean I we can already rule out like Saudi Arabia didn't help oh yeah I mean Deutsche I can Bank, guess Ger- well CNN came through on their last of the nine questions with one thing we're interested in and we don't know the answer to so wouldn't it be cool if some little country like Malta had come up and been like you guys we're the gayest friendly country in That's the world. That's right. I was about and to say, very got, liberal, that we've Malta. We've got something to tell you. Okay, well, let's cut the shit on this fake news and see what's cracking <laughs> over on Candidate Street. Sunny day, sleeping up, flies away. On my way to where the air is free. Can you tell me how? to get how to get to candidate street it's a big gay candidate street can we find it in china what can we find it in china can't find any streets in china (laughs) no their streets are confusing as fuck but some of the names are in english it's very because we're in hong kong so it's like british so there's a lot of like english shit here yeah well all right so we wanted to talk about the presidential candidate andrew yang because Hello, we're in China. So yeah, Andrew Yang. Now, obviously he's Chinese-American, and he's been piquing our interest as of late. But someone else has been piquing our interest more. He's more on brand with dumb gay politics, and more importantly, he was on Rachel Maddow last night in an epic fucking interview that has changed the game significantly for 2020. It's true. So, um, in case you don't know, Meow Meow is talking about Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, which is where Mike Pence is from, incidentally, Indiana. And he's the first openly gay presidential candidate, and he is third in the polls right now. Third. That is insane. When I told Julie that, she was like, what? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's fucking crazy, you guys. He's third. He's really... Past Beto, like as far as he's coming up in an Obama style where you caught your you got got caught with your pants down, not paying attention, old every Republican fucking jerking <laughs> off into some hooker's face, and now here comes Pete Buttigieg, and they're like, oh, oh shit, boy. hope is on the horizon. <laughs> so Bernie Sanders is first, Joe Biden, who hasn't even officially announced that he's running yet, Joe Biden is second, and then Mayor Pete Buttigieg is third. So, like Julie said, he was on Rachel Maddow last night. <clears throat> My voice, it's just... Hong it's, Konging it up. It's Hong Kong um, rough. Yeah. So, he was on Rachel Maddow last night, and the shit was transformative. Rachel got real deep and real gay with Mayor <laughs> Pete, which made her so authentic and so human for a second. And here's a quick tangential side note. Please, everyone, listen up, because this is, this is, this is, this is, this is good. So, in general, Rachel Maddow thinks she's being relatable by talking about muff diving on Susan and going fishing and shit, but it's really just not there for me. She's an intellectual, and she's highly competitive and ambitious, and she's gay as a motherfucker. So, when she actually embraces those qualities about herself and reveals them, she seems more likable and, ironically, more vulnerable to me anyway. In a question to Pete Buttigieg, she showcases all of those things, and it is a historical moment in journalism, period. Walter Cronkite bowed the fuck down in his grave, but is he? Yeah. Okay, so he's dead. Yeah. I was flitting around the hotel room listening to the interview on Sirius, and her question stopped me dead in my tracks. I literally stood in the middle of the hotel room staring, mouth agape, enraptured. <laughs> I was just like, did this bitch just ask this? By being brave enough to show her true self, she brought out the absolute best in Pete Buttigieg, who, by the way, is already a fucking angel. 
So let's listen to the moment. I'm hoping uh, the majority of you guys haven't heard this. Let me ask you, and I, I will acknowledge at the outset that this is an awkward question. Um, I was a Rhodes Scholar too. I went up in 1995, you went up a decade later. So I was the first openly gay American Rhodes Scholar. And I got there and I had come out in college, so I applied for the Rhodes Scholarship as an openly gay person. It definitely came up in the selection process and then I got there and it occurred, I learned that I was the first American who had never been out. Wow. But that was a decade before you. And you went through college and then the Rhodes Scholarship process and the getting the Rhodes Scholarship and going to work for McKinsey and joining the Navy and deploying to Afghanistan and coming home and running for mayor in your hometown and getting elected before you came out at the age of 33. Yeah. And I, I bring this up and I acknowledge it's a difficult question, not because it's, it's bad that you didn't come out to your 33, but I think it would have killed me to be closeted for that long. Yeah. I just think about what it takes as a human being to know something and to have to bifurcate your public life. And for you to have had all of those difficult transitions and experiences and to be aiming as high as you were all of that time and not coming out until your early 30s, I, I just wonder if that was hurtful to you, if, yeah. it hurt, if it hurt you to do it. It was hard. It was really hard. Um, coming out is hard, but being in the closet is harder. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I mean, it, it was and it wasn't. First of all, it took me plenty of time to come out to myself. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, I, I did not, the way you did or, or the way my husband did, figure out at such an early age that I probably should have. I mean, there's certainly plenty, plenty of indications by the time I was 15 or so that I could point back and be like, yeah, dead, mm -hmm. this, this kid's gay. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess I just really needed to not be. And, you know, there's this war that breaks out, I think, inside a lot of people. Uh, when they realize that, that they might be something they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And it took me a very long time to resolve that. I did make sure, as a kind of final way of coming out to myself, to come out to uh, at least a couple of people in my life before I took office, hmm. because I knew that uh, I didn't want to have that kind of psychological pressure of at least not being out to somebody. But you sort of swore them to secrecy, or you... They understood, yeah, that yeah. this was a very sensitive thing. Um, they also pointed out, as your friends do, uh, you know, patting you on the back, that I hadn't really make it, made it easy on myself, because at that point, professionally, I had two things in my life that really mattered to me professionally. One of them was being an officer in the military, in the reserve, and the other was being an elected official in Indiana. Mm -hmm. uh, neither of which is exactly LGBT friendly. In fact, both of which I assumed were totally, totally incompatible with being out. And both of which were very meaningful. Uh, one of the risks that I think people with meaningful jobs have, especially people in politics actually, is because your job is meaningful, a lot of the meaning in your life comes from your job, mm -hmm. which is a real problem because part of what uh, is needed, I think, to be good at your job in politics is to have something wor worth more to you than winning. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be ready to walk away from that job in order to deserve it. Um, but I did get a lot of meaning from that work. And, uh, and in some ways, because it was so demanding, uh, I almost didn't mind for an inordinately long time that, that, was that I didn't have much of a personal life. Yeah. Uh, and I did not have a, like a dating life while I was closeted or anything like that. Um, the city was a jealous bride for a long time and kept me busy, but it was really the deployment that put me over the top. I realized that you only get to be one person. Uh, you don't know how long you have on this earth. Uh, and by the time I came back, I realized, like, I got I to gotta do something. Were you sure at the time when you came out that it would cost you re-election? I was pretty sure it was going to be a big complication, but yeah. I, I had no idea. I mean, I felt like things were going well in the city. I felt like I had done a good job by the people of South Bend, and I had some level of trust. That I would be that I would be rewarded for that with a re-election, but there's no way to really know. There was no playbook. I mean, no executive in Indiana had ever been out, mm -hmm. and so it was kind of a leap of faith. And I just, you know, I had a, uh, I wrote it all down, put it in an op-ed, um, dropped it into the South Bend Tribune, and and woke up that day and saw what would happen. And, and then got re-elected with 80 percent of the vote. And then there you go. Yeah. So. You treat people, you, you trust people, and at least in this case, they reciprocated that trust. And, you know, that was more than I got elected in the first place. Um, and so it, uh, I guess it's, it's one thing that gives me a lot of encouragement. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty, as you know, there's plenty of ugliness that comes in from all over the place. But most people, I think, are either supportive or even enthusiastic about the idea of the first out person uh, going this far. Or they find a way to let me know they don't care. Mm -hmm. and, and that's historic, too. I mean, one day, the way this will work is if a mayor is trying to figure out how to come out, you go to the next rubber chicken dinner you're going to and your dates are the same sex. That's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? People shrug, figure it out, and get on with the evening. It didn't feel that way in Indiana in 2015. So, obviously, it was crazy and 
just their their gay off, their queer off was <laughs> legendary. Also, just her asking a gay per, a gay presidential candidate about why he waited to come out um, was fucking mind blowing. But I have to say, like, first of all, my favorite part was about was when he said the thing about politicians have to find something more important than winning Mm -hmm. and as a as an ambitious um mercenary type myself um success and money mean a lot to me and it would and it is so easy for all of us i think to sit at home and be like you should care about the american people more than keeping your job right more than becoming unemployed and i mean we've seen time and again where someone will stick their neck out Heidi Heitkamp voted no, and she didn't win. When right. when twenty, um, when the November twenty eighteen came around, mm-hmm. she lost. Right, and that's the thing is, a lot of these people. Joe Manchin, he's a fucking Democrat. He didn't oh, yeah. vote no, and I mean Brett Kavanaugh is one example. But it's like the Supreme Court is supremely powerful, and it's and that vote is really important. And but I mean it's 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 easy to sit and virtue signal and judge. And I think, um, and for all we know, Pete Buttigieg, I guess could be judging, but, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. him alone, just, just saying alone, it's more important. It's important to have something you care about more than winning already shows his thoughtfulness to me. Right. Um, I also love that within the question of coming out, what really gets me, and I, I have heard him say it before. Um, but he didn't say it in an interview. He said it in like, a rally. That's why it was so crazy that Rachel Maddow, being a gay person, asked him about coming out. But he said that he really, really didn't want to be gay, and he denied it within himself for years. And I just think that that is so important um, for him to recognize. And also, there's something about it that just really, really gets me, like in the heartstrings. Like um, because we also one of our favorite things to do is talk shit about people that we think are gay that aren't out but um i think a lot of these people don't want to be gay and it's sad you know what i mean it's hard i think that um and for anyone and certainly of a the generation of people who don't want to be gay nobody like at least i know um no of a certain gen like being 35 or 40 or 45 or older or whatever like nobody wanted to be gay like nobody i guess some people maybe Rachel did or some people did or there's some people who did but for the most part it's something that is so relatable you don't want to be gay until you realize like you do want to be gay but like the it's something that people don't talk about or give like nobody wants to like put it put attention on it because it makes it like yeah, the other side is right. No, we don't want to be gay, but the, and gay you know, people will get so a lot of times will get mad at you if you if you show enti- any kind of internalized homophobia. If you, right, it's like a thing that's not talked about. Right, and so it's really really important that he did. And <clears throat> what even more for me was when he said, "I denied my personal life, but it didn't really matter to me because my job was so demanding." Like I, for me, I think that that is. The world doesn't need to know your fucking business. And also, you can be... I guess coming from, like, as a woman, I guess it... I have, like, a lifetime of people asking me about kids. And it's... We always get shamed if we don't value family or kids, I guess, above, like, our own ambitions or marriage or, like, these trappings. And so, I guess I just liked that he said... You know, he was fucking having fun being mayor and right. doing doing his job. And he wasn't sitting around like, God, I just can't suck dick and blow loads all day. Like, he was happy doing his job. And he, uh-huh. it was also, he was busy with that. And so, I know he was using it sort of like it was easy to distract himself. But I just liked his acknowledgement of there are things that can be rewarding and fulfilling outside of your personal life. Yeah, right. Uh, you guys definitely need to listen to the whole interview. It's worth it. It's like t- 23 minutes and um, watch it from beginning to end. It's it's and it's on um, YouTube and you can watch it for free. So, mom, I want you to go d- go on YouTube, search Rachel Maddow. Don't just put Mayor Pete or something. Don't mm-hmm. put Buddha Judge because God knows my mom probably already knows how to smell, spell it. But OK, so now tell us your favorite part, ma'am. ma'am. My favorite part is when Mayor Pete talks about America's values. 
And why is that your favorite part? It's my favorite part because I think that he eloquently and succinctly um, describes not only the problem with America right now, but how it can be changed in a very, very, very basic and simple way. When we um, connect our values with our goals, it shows. If you think about your own personal life, what are my values? All my values are X, Y, Z. And if they're gross values, then your life will reflect gross values. If your <laughs> values are are um, thoughtful and selfless and um, loving and whatever, it will reflect that. America's values right now are in the garbage. They're in the toilet. They're, All we value is money and power. We value money and power. And That's, I just literally just said that was my values. But <laughs> you and didn't I, say power. You I said think success. If, if, I think also, and you'll hear it when you hear the clip, even if we laid out as Americans if we all just we all we need a, a mission statement as Americans and if our mission statement is money and power then so fucking be it but right now I think the Republicans try and act like it's not money and power they want to act like it's fucking Jesus and right. whatever it is and less government like whatever our values are we need to identify them and then and then it will show and right now I think it's clear that it's money and power and if it's not if it's freedom or if it's whatever the fuck right it's money and power and judge, judge judging and moralizing <laughs> and you can't you can't have both like they're not they're not connected like they're they're a lot the even the values of America right now are um uh not true they're not true to them own, their own selves so okay shall I play it this administration has embraced uh, dictators and strongmen in a way that we haven't seen before in this country. I'm thinking about uh, President Trump's failure to rebuke the Saudis for killing Jamal Khashoggi, uh, the praise, uh, the declarations of love, in fact, for Kim Jong-un, the weirdness of Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. um, what would your posture be towards those types of, of world leaders that this president has embraced. Would you meet with people like that? Would you not meet with people like that? There are certain conditions where maybe you would meet with them, but I actually think the, the emergence or the reinforcement of figures like that are an example of why it's so important to have America be credibly defending our values. And right now, we're not credibly doing anything in the international scene. Look, I still believe strongly in American values. And any time we as a country have tried to do something that we thought was in our interests but went against our values, sooner or later it caught up to us. So I think the core of American foreign policy in the future, as the next president is trying to reestablish U.S. credibility and do things like make clear what the standards will be for the commitment of U.S. troops in unilateral military action in the future, which, by the way, I hope is a much higher bar mm -hmm. going forward. But as any of that is being resolved, it has to begin with the idea that American interests and American values are inseparable. And so when we are encountering these often competitors or adversaries, uh, we got to recognize that, look, the American model is not quite, is not viewed as convincing as it used to be. Now, you know, because of the instability here at home and because of the embarrassments uh, coming out of the White House, there are a lot of people around the world who might say, you know, the Chinese model isn't looking so bad right now. Mm. You got the Russian model throwing its weight around, the Saudi model, as you mentioned. I think it's precisely because they're throwing their weight around that we need American values out there. Um, but it has to be credible. And that means you have to have a U.S. leader who's willing to draw lines, who's willing to hold leaders accountable when they do murderous things, and who is extremely selective with when you use the prestige and power of the presidency, either through a meeting or through a favorable comment to elevate or lift up a leader of any other country. I mean, I feel like that's everything, you know, and not for nothing. I was in a cab with a Chinese driver who said he didn't like the way that the Chinese government was um, acting. So I thought that was interesting that he's talking about the Chinese model. It's like they're not really happy with the Chinese model either. Yeah, he, they, he thought they were entitled or something. Entitled like. and the way that they get money from America and like the trade deal and all of this stuff. It was just like going in on it. But America's values need to be um, connected. In line with what, their actions or their interests? What with their mean? interests. Yeah. Your values are in line with your interests. And I just think that's so basic and simple. It's a lesson I'm certainly learning. And it's just like, and it just makes sense for the whole country. And yes, a mission statement. That's why the Green New Deal is so compelling and interesting. Because it is like a mission statement. Everybody coming together to want these things. These are our goals. Because if we value the earth, if we value life, if we value, and I'm, and I'm talking about valuing life not as in pro-life. I'm talking about valuing life in a real true way. And staying alive. Yes, yeah, staying alive. Keeping your kids alive. Keeping the earth alive, making things clean, like keeping you, like not in a biblical sense of life, because that's, 
fake. Tragic. And yeah. so this is in real life, real, real life, and valuing people, people valuing whatever. It's just like the, the our values are, Mitch McConnell's values are Mitch McConnell. Trump's values are Trump. Power, their own power, their own power, their own power. And it's and it's showing, and it shows to other countries. And it's and it's showing that that's what capitalism. It's what we we're, we're a very we're a mercenary society, and and we can. It's not too late to change that. And I, I yeah, I love that because that's the only thing compelling about the Green New Deal is that it's a mission statement. Yeah. And and we need one, and we really do. And um, when in our self care, yes, and our yes. personal j- journaling and journeying that we've yes. been doing, um, and also Howard Schultz. He did the best Proust survey or whatever, which is at the end of Vanity Fair. And he said, like, he's the happiest when his his emotional um, self and his instinctual self, like his emotional self and his emotions and his values line up with his in- instincts. And then mm. that, like, goes out into the world and he gets what makes him happy because everything's in line. Right. If our values aren't in line with, with what we're doing, then... America's going to suffer, and it is suffering. Yep. So my favorite clip is, um, she asks him about his military service. Not only did he come out late, he also joined the military after grad school at, like, 28. And it wasn't the kind of thing where it was, like, 9-11 happened, and then he went and did it. Right. Um, he was probably two when 9-11 happened. So, (laughs) um, he is so thoughtful and... It is the absolute most thoughtful and compelling argument I've ever heard to have young people join the military. I mean, I have a cousin who just came back and he's um, disturbed and is having emotional problems. And so a lot of times I feel like, especially in L.A., we have a huge homeless population and we, we see a lot of people who come back very, very damaged. And it's not a good look. For the military, but um, he gives such a thoughtful a thoughtful argument for it, and Rachel needs to fucking chime on in. And it's just it's a it's genius, and um, it, that's why it's my favorite. Um, I want to ask you about an element of your resume in your background that is rare. There's this gigantic field of Democratic candidates. It's literally like two baseball teams at this point. You guys could play each other. But um, besides you and Tulsi Gabbard, uh, there aren't Democrats running thus far uh, who have military experience. You'd enlisted at the age of 26, 27? Uh, Yeah, right around then, yeah. After grad school? That's right. Can you talk about your decision about uh, why to do that? Why'd you pick the Navy? What were you... Yeah, there there had always been a kind of family military tradition, but I always had some excuse for not serving at, at any particular moment when I I was uh, in college. I was in college when I got the chance to study overseas. I, you know, I, I was tied up in that. Although uh, there were several Americans at Oxford who were in my uh, class of Rhodes Scholars who were graduates of the Naval Academy, and I just mm-hmm. admired those those people so much that it made me think a little harder. The thing that put me over the edge was actually a, a campaign visit. I was knocking on doors as a volunteer for Barack Obama in some very low-income, very rural counties in Iowa, and was blown away by how many times I would knock on the door, talk to a young person who was on their way to basic training or on their way into recruitment. And I began to realize just how stark the class and regional divides had become, that I could count on one hand the number of people I knew at a place like Harvard who had gone on to serve. And I began to feel like I was part of a problem. Hmm. Uh, You know, I grew up on the tradition of people like John F. Kennedy, a young John F. Kennedy, uh, experienced in military service, the most probably racially integrated environment that he could have been in at the time, found himself on equal terms with the sons of farmers and laborers from the Midwest. George H.W. Bush, same thing. As the scions of wealthy and powerful families, it was expected of them that they would serve, and it helped them get to know people of different backgrounds. I was by no means the scion of a wealthy or powerful family, but I did have the the, the privilege of, of this amazing education, and, and again, began to think, like, maybe that's a reason I should be contributing and should be as liable to getting called up as anybody else in this country, mm-hmm. rather than uh, one more thing that kind of separates me from other people uh, I knew from my region or my hometown who had served. So uh, I went in for the commission in, uh, uh, in intelligence in 2009. I thought I'd studied Arabic. I thought that might be useful. And later came back to me that the recruiter wrote down that I had studied aerobics. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Which uh, would also be useful. I actually wound up as a command fitness leader for my unit at one point. But, so I suppose that would have been useful. But um, I'm really glad I did get the chance to serve. It helped me connect with very different Americans, people, especially when I was deployed to Afghanistan, who... Um, 
I had almost nothing in common with different politics, different generation, different racially, different regionally. But you learn to trust each other with your life because that's what the job requires. And I want more Americans to have that, but I don't want you to have to go to war to get it. It's one of the reasons I think national service will hopefully become one of the themes of the 2020 campaign, because if we really want to talk about the threat to social cohesion that uh, that helps uh, characterize this presidency, but also just this era. And one thing we could do that would help change that would be to make it, uh, if not legally obligatory, then certainly a social norm hmm. that anybody after they're 18 uh, spends a year in, in national service so that afterwards, whether it's civilian or military, uh, it's the first uh, question on your college application if you're applying for college, or it's the first question when you're being interviewed for a job if you're going right into the workforce. Now, to do that, we're going to have to create more service year opportunities, and we're going to have to find a way to fund it, but I think it's worth approaching. I feel like that that point and you discussing those those difficulties with it um, sort of s strikes me on that because this always, always really resonated with me. The civilian military divide that you're talking about is something that I've been interested in a very long time. I wrote a book about it. Um, and it's something that I have struggled with because uh, the easy answer is that there should be a draft. Mm -hmm. um, and the easy answer uh, that there should be a draft is easy and sounds like a great solution to everybody except the military who doesn't particularly want to deal with yep. a lot of conscripts who don't want to be there because right. it's a high, high skills, high tech environment, um, a voluntary, voluntary service, professionals. Um, but this idea of national service that's not necessarily a draft, I've heard so many smart people, left, right, and center, talk about that for the last 15 years, and I feel like it's this constant drawing board idea. Right. And nobody ever, you know, somebody pilots a thing here or pilots a thing there. There doesn't seem to be any appetite for it at the federal level in terms of actually making it happen because it will involve some sort of level of raising expectations, if not creating a mandate right. for people. And we seem wired as a country to reject that at every level. I, I don't have faith that something like that ever gets off the drawing board. Well, I think it's a bit like some of the democratic reforms we were talking about earlier. It's one of these ideas that everybody kind of likes, mm -hmm. um, but it was always important and never urgent, right? I mean, how would that ever kind of hold its own in a policy debate where we're dealing with uh, kids in cages and we got to deal with, with climate change and there are all these pressing burning issues. But again, one of the things I'm trying to have us have a conversation about are what are the conditions that made this moment, this presidency possible? And one of them, I think, is a fraying in the social code cohesion that we experience. And so some of that kind of stewardship, kind of housekeeping of our society, I, I think requires direct policy intervention that to me makes something like uh, what national service could bring us uh, a little more urgent than we maybe have given it credit for. I get the obstacles. I get that it would be challenging. But if we made it more of a priority, I, I think we could establish that as a norm uh, by the time that my kids are going to college. I feel like they're having a Rhodes Scholar off, <laughs> yeah, and they are, um, <laughs> like, it's all terms and fucking, like, appetite and mandates <laughs> and fucking inclusion, and uh -huh. it's just like, that's why we really urge you guys to watch this interview, watch it more than once. We were actually going to play you another clip where he talks about wanting to add more Supreme Court judges. And it's this whole philosophical existential conversation on the Constitution and how if you can dig through their goddamn vocabulary fucking competition that they're in, <laughs> you, it's, it gets into a thing about how government is now using the Constitution as to wield their power and not as it was meant to be used. Right. And... Um, it's really, it's, it's an interesting clip, but we just can't, we don't have time. And also it's mind numbing listening to this and we don't want you guys, whatever the fuck you're doing to be bored. Yeah. So try and download it or you don't have to download it. Just, just watch just, that line. Yeah. Go to YouTube and, and, and try and just, and focus. And it'll be interesting when you can, you can stare at Rachel Maddow's fucking lip gloss and her fucking hair, goddamn Aveda hair gel or whatever the fuck's <laughs> in her hair. So real quick. Uh -huh. What's going on with the money? Because it's all about the money. I uh, hate that commercial where she's like, money. Remember, she calls the call center. Anyway, who cares? Oh, and the for the credit card? Yeah. Ugh, yes. Um, so, Bernie Sanders has $28 million. Mm. Um, This is what they have cash on hand. Oh. Elizabeth Warren has eleven point two, And I'm so happy for Elizabeth yeah, Warren. Yeah, that's great. I, no one, she's, Pete is booting her, booting her. He's beating, <laughs> he's booted judging her in the polls. Uh-huh. But she's, I thought, I mean, I donated, so good. I'm glad my $5 went somewhere. <laughs> um, 
Former Maryland Congressman John Delaney has 10.6. I don't even know who that is. Me either. New York Senator Kristen Gillibrand, 10.2. Minnesota Sem- Senator Amy Klobuchar, 7 million. She must be s- selling those wow. Amy Klobuchar yeah, comb you. forks. She better. Um, P- Pete Buttigieg has 6.4 million, and Cory Booker has 6.1. So Kamala Harris isn't even on this top wow. list. Wow. Just crazy. That is too bad. That is too bad. But you know what? At the end of the day, we just don't know. After the that first debate's coming up, and that's going to do a lot. We don't know when the debate is, but Julie's we'll find out. been talking about how excited she is. I can't so. wait. Now it's time to tell you guys about something you might not have heard about, but is super fucking tragic. This is the part of the show where we tell you about things in the news that you may have missed, but they're too fucking tragic for us to ignore. Okay, so some of you might not have noticed, but Donald Trump has a sister named Marianne. She's a federal judge. Now, that in and of itself is completely fucking tragic, being that she's a member of a known money laundering family with dubious morals. She's the daughter of a known racist, and I'm sure that and her fucking white affluent privilege didn't do anyone in her courtroom any favors, except perhaps other privileged white I'm, people. I mean, I am sure. And for those of you who did know that Trump had an unattractive sister named Marianne, who is a federal judge, you may not have noticed that last week she resigned to avoid being investigated for ethics violations. And that is super fucking tragic. So basically, it, in a nutshell... Trump's Nazi fucking father, who we have recently <laughs> learned, was not born in Germany, though he looks like he was born out of Hitler's balls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in New York. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, he, literally. Yeah. I mean. Born in New York. He, when he was getting ready to die, he wanted to give all of his kids, he wanted to pass on all of his money, and he didn't want the death tax to rape them of all their money. Right. So, which, by the way, incidentally, Trump took away right. this year with yes. the with the tax new tax plan. Right. So, um, because that was 150 years ago, there is no recourse for investigating it. Um, the way that Trump's dad avoided the the death tax was by shifting money around and shell companies and laundering and embezzling and whatever all the rich people do shelters and X Y Z into all the kids and grandkids accounts. This included fucking Judge Marianne. Right. And Judge Marianne was right there with her greedy hands out to get her inheritance <laughs> uh-huh. and not pay any taxes. I'm so happy she's a federal judge judging other people when she's so fucking greedy she doesn't want to fucking pay taxes. Yep. So the thing is it's so old that it can't be investigated. So what happened was she has been sitting around taking her fat ass piece of shit pension yes. But still claiming that she's a judge. She hasn't been doing anything with any cases for like two years. two years, it says. But, so they're like, oh, really, bitch? Well, we're gonna, since you're still here, and you won't (laughs) get the fuck out of here so we can put a new judge in your place, um, which Mitch McConnell will do it anyway, so who cares? Um, They launched an ethics investigation into old Marianne. And that's the only investigation that can happen right now. They can't legally, like, subpoena Trump or the dead drunk brother (laughs) or the nasty grandkids. Right. So they just said, oh, let's investigate Marianne. And so Marianne resigned. Marianne resigned. (laughs) um, And the investigation's over. No more investigation, (laughs) but um, it's important for us to know that Marianne will now receive her pension. And that apparently that's going to be between one hundred and eighty-four thousand and two hundred and seventeen thousand a year. Yeah, until she dies. I thought it was around two twenty. So that's cool. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, if we had had more time or interest or inclination, we would have looked up what she's done. I think it's so bizarre and fucking tragic. If if this bitch didn't have a closet 
full of skeletons oh. falling out of it. Or perhaps if she weren't, this is either, it, this is it. She either has a closet full of skeletons pouring out or she hates her own brother because why has no one heard of her? Why was she not paraded out like, oh, my sister's a judge, my sister's a judge. That is way more aspirational than him. He's a shady fucking, he's a realtor. He's a, he's a house flipper. He's Jeff Lewis. Right. And this bitch is a federal judge. If, if he could in any way exploit that or utilize that, he would have. And he didn't because we never remembered hearing about it. That's true. So Marianne might have been like, you can go, go fuck yourself, you tool. Right. So I'm she, shaking dad's money and I'm doing what I want. She either hates Trump, he hates her, or she's too shady and everyone involved with the Trump campaign, who, by the way, invented the word shady. And if you look up shady in the dictionary, it's a picture of his entire campaign. Yeah. So she would really have to be shady for them to go, she's too dicey to have near the campaign. Right. And I wonder, and I, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know. She's a lot older than him. and um, But as a federal judge, it's like he could have paraded that out and been like, my sister's going to retire. We're going to put a new conservative judge in. Or she loves this judge. Whatever. He would have done it. Any of it. He, he didn't. So that's, so that's really, really notable to it me. It is notable. The whole thing is completely fucking tragic. <laughs> now the investigation is done because she resigned. Yeah. Go investigate so- someone! Yeah. The, all these rules for when you, went, when you can and can't investigate are so dumb. If you know somebody did a crime, why is there... Uh, as a judge why do you have like a there limit be, there should not be a statute of limitations on a sitting federal judge who then gets a, to keep her money or a retired one no. now it's time for so there's that <laughs> Alright, so now it's time for the part of the show where I give Julie the task of finding a positive ray of light shining amongst all the grossness that's happening on the political landscape. She hates doing it, and we're in Hong Kong in a room that's probably bugged, so I'm just hoping she's not going to talk any shit about China. Alright, Meow Meow, what is your So There's That moment for this Chinese week? Okay, well, um, since we're in China and I'm so tired, I just don't care. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't. With that said... Since we're forced to watch the news here while we're traveling and care, I can't bury my head in the sand and run away or go to sleep or whatever it is that I want to do. I just, the truth is, as much as I've enjoyed my time in Hong Kong, I don't want to live here at all. Uh, I am reminded how lucky I am, and even though Trump sucks and America is a landfill right now, I do have serious hope that it will be cleaned up to reveal the mostly clean free and pretty landscape that it is. With that said, we have 4 million candidates for the 2020 election on the Democratic side and Trump on the Republican side. But this just in, Trump has a Republican adversary, bitches! Yes. And that's kind of big, a big deal for a Republican to big, run against a sitting president. Big right? deal. Yeah. It's only happened four times in American politics. Um, but as of two days ago... Uh, I think, because I, I don't understand one, how think, days work anymore. I think one day One ago. day? Okay, yeah. so a day ago, Bill Weld, the former governor of Massachusetts, is now going to run against Trump in 2020. Now, this barely happens in American politics when a Republican runs against the current seated president, but it has happened four times, in 1968, 1976, 1980, and 1982. And well, as, yeah, because they'll have you killed. Oh my God, and it's just <laughs> not classy. I think you, they think yeah. of it as just not cool. Because you're now you're going against your your party, and you want the you want the ultimately the, we want the help of the RNC, right? And the RNC will never help you because they have to help the the president, yeah. And also the president's already in and is already doing the work, and everybody's already got their jobs, and now you're going to ruin everybody's jobs, and yeah. you, you can't be doing it. And in those four times you mentioned, has anyone won? Uh, no, no. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> so no, I think it's now. Um, and now as we know. The Republicans have been a bunch of yellow-bellied turd swallowers, and no one wants to stand up against Trump because none of them want to lose their jobs. And most of them are happy with a smaller scepter they can wield, and God knows no one wants to lose their tiny slice of power. Well, someone's crawled out of the swamp to try and get his, and it's Bill Weld. I appreciate that he is at least trying, you know, 
to Bill do it. Weld? Yes, Bill Weld. If you don't know about him, and we don't really know that much about him um, either, but here's a few things that we do know, at least from, from here, from China. I tried to get as you know much information as we could. Um, he is the former governor of Massachusetts from 91 to 97. He was a U.S. U.S. Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division from 86 to 88 and the U.S. Attorney for the District of Massachusetts from 81 to 86. So he's got a lot of experience in, in uh, politics and law and, you know, whatever. He did, he was on, um, he was on. Judge Judy? He was on Judge <laughs> Judy. He was on the People's Courts the, the <sighs> other day. We can't even talk. He, he was on Jake Tapper and he was interviewed. And what he said was this. He said, It is time for patriotic men and women across our great nation to stand and plant a flag. It is time to return to the principles of Lincoln. Equality, dignity, and opportunity for all. There is no greater cause on earth than to preserve what truly makes America great. So, you know, he's trying to come correct. He we also know from Log Cabin Republican Matthew Craffy that Lincoln is the... The log cabin. That's yes, the, that's the cabin. The benchmark right. for the Republicans that right. want to be like, we want the original views and right because Lincoln was the one. I mean, they would yeah. point to Lincoln being like, he's the war. He's the one who got slavery abolished. He's the one for freedom. He's the blah, blah, blah. the thing with Bill Weld though is he did endorse Barack Obama over John McCain for president in 2008, and then he endorsed Mitt Romney over Obama in 2012. He also defected to the Libertarian Party to run with Gary Johnson in 2016. You'll remember the two of them were an enjoyment to watch. Um, The thing with him is that you can't really ever tell what he stands for. And as we know with libertarians, they're pretty self-centered. Sorry to our libertarian friends. And this guy is leaning Republican libertarian. And I just don't think that's a good look. However, it's a better look than Trump. And at least he's trying. He's pretty liberal as far as drugs and gay marriage and abortion. He probably just doesn't want to pay for anything for anyone. And good luck to you should you fall down a well. The real tea here, though, aside from whatever his thing is, is that he is the only Republican identifying person to stand up to Trump. He is getting on to the business of trying to discredit the administration and throw his weird ass into the ring and see what kind of roadblocks at least he can throw down in this despicable party of Lex Luthor. And, you know, I think that's cool because Gene Hackman is the shit. Anyone who wants to smile. <laughs> now, okay. if you're a Republican and want to go on with your life and have a shred of integrity left and show a sliver of humanity and selflessness and care for this country, you will do the right thing and vote for anyone but Trump. I'm glad Bill Weld is taking his libertarian ginger ass on the road to show people there's still weirdos on the other side. Is he ginger? Mm-hmm. Oh. But so he is, what you're saying is that it sounds like he's throwing his hat in the ring to deflect votes off of Trump and that is cool it is cool yeah it's very cool I didn't get that yeah and I do think because he's never going to win the nomination for the Republican candidate but he is going to um, deflect um, votes away from Trump and that is cool I'm glad that he's going to show that there's still weirdos on the other side who may not want to pay for anything and feel everyone (laughs) is on their own in the world but they're at least tired of paying for Trump and the disgusting people of this administration and their power mongering power grabbing and pussy grabbing ways so there's that. So that's it for this episode of Dumb Gay Politics. Thank you guys for listening. We love and appreciate all of you. And we want you to know that we do this podcast every week without fail, including in China, when we want to cancel and we're hungover and we have jet lag and I throw up in a trash can (laughs) for free because we care about all 14 of you and we don't want to lose you to funnier, less offensive, smarter, better podcast. (laughs) So thank you for sticking with us. We really do see you. Yes. And thank you to all the people who have joined the Patreon Um, that one isn't free, but it's only a dollar and you can feel good about your donation because each dollar you give will go directly to my $3,500 tax bill. (laughs) Correct. Go to www.patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics if you're interested in helping Julie. And while you're there, you'll get another dumb gay hour long podcast each week and a bunch of new friends. The girls and burrs on the Patreon are fucking peaches. You will not find a nicer online community anywhere. That's true. And as always, it's been real and it's been fun. But mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb. 
and Chinese MP Buttigieg. <laughs> How'd you do, I? See you've met my faithful hand in hand. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Let me show you around and maybe play you a sign. You look like you're both pretty groovy. Or if you want something visual that's not too abysmal, we could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Right. Or maybe a bite. Right. I could show you my favorite obsession. I've been making a man with blonde hair and a tan. And he's good for relieving my tension. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom. <laughs> <laughs> 